just in Proverbs, all right? So let's stand. We're going to look at Proverbs 29, verse 1. Proverbs 29, verse 1. All right. If you don't have your Bible with you, that one up there will work good. We'll read it right off the board. What do you think? Be all right? He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be suddenly destroyed, and that without remedy. Look back to chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6. Let's look over there. Proverbs chapter 6. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, down about verse number 12, it says, A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. Now, let, let me help you with this. The naughty person, when I was a kid growing up, my mom used to say, You've been naughty. And that was usually said right before she got the switch out. <laughs> How many remember those days? Now, the word naughty is a weak, weak translation because the word there is the word in the Hebrew is the idea of the sons of Belial. You're a Baal worshiper. You're a, you're a worthless person. That's the idea. So naughty isn't real strong there. That's being King James nice. Okay, so it says you're naughty. And it says a wicked man, we know what a wicked man is, walks with a forward mouth. Now watch this because this is interesting. Give me the next verse. He winks with his eyes, he speaks with his feet, he teaches with his fingers. You, in your Bible, write the word body language. You can tell a wicked person and a son of Belial because of their body language. There's certain things that they do. And this picture, by the way, the... Hebrew is a very picturesque language. For example, the word cat's the idea of a tail that wraps around your leg. That's the word cat in Hebrew. Because when cats stand by you, they wrap their tail around your leg. Yes or no? It's the idea of curling. All right? Uh, the word there when it talks about winking with his eyes, speaking with his feet, teaching with his fingers. It's the idea of going to the courtroom, and they got it set up. They got the witnesses. They got the judge in their back pocket. They got everything they need to get the court case turned out exactly the way they want it. And he said, you can tell by watching in the courtroom because there's one guy winking. Another guy is, you know, <laughs> you with me? They're letting the judge know who, who's, you know, supposed to get off. Okay, let's keep reading. It goes on. Forwardness is in his heart. He devises mischief continually. He sows discord. Next verse. Therefore... This is his deeds. We saw his behavior. Look at his deeds. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be what? Broken without remedy. The word remedy, the Hebrew word is the idea. There's no cure for it. You can't go to the doctor and say, give me a pill because I got this or I got that. He says, no, there's no cure. You're going to be broken and that's without remedy. Be seated. You did a good job today. You stood probably three minutes there. That's a long time. Right? Now, today I'm going to preach on a subject that doesn't get preached on very often. And I called my sermon today, The Other Side of God. I could have named my sermon today, When God Says That's Enough. I remember when I was a kid growing up, when my dad said that's enough, that meant that's enough. You better be cool, because it's fixing to happen. How many remember those days? 
Now, we're going to talk about the other side of God. I want to talk to you today about maybe the side of God we don't hear a lot, the wrath of God. You ever heard of the wrath of God? How do we like God? Loving, kind, merciful. And I believe God's all those things, don't you? Yeah, he's overwhelmingly loving, overwhelmingly merciful, overwhelmingly gracious. But have you ever read the book of Revelation? The Bible says the wrath of God is poured out on this world from chapter 6 all the way to about chapter 19. Revelation's a scary book. How many would agree with that? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about the other side of God. Um, when you talk about God, I was reading some statements this last week by children, written by a lady named Monica Parker, uh, How Children See God. And she said her son, Remy, when he was seven, asked, who's God? She told him God's inside everything from spiders to trees to humans. By the way, that's a false statement. God isn't in trees. God isn't in spiders. Man's the only one with a soul. Are you listening to me? Oh, some of you are going to get mad at me afterwards. But God is not pantheistic. He's not in everything. Okay? He came to her the next morning. He said, Mom, Dad, I know I've seen God. She said, you said who? Who's seen God? She said, doctors. They see God every time they cut people open. Think about that. A lot of truth in that. One eight-year-old named Ethan said, God doesn't have a house. He doesn't need one except on Sunday because that's the day he comes down to rest. <laughs> Kayla, eight and a half, said, I wish God could make me famous soon. I thought that was cute. I call God when I need help with things, but not my homework because my mom says I have to do that by myself. <laughs> Max said, my father never believed you were real, but my mom did. And then she got sick and now she prays to you. Mom got well, so we don't need you anymore. Manny, age six, said, my mom talks to God because we need money. Isn't it amazing how kids see God? All of us would say that God is good. All of us would say that God's character is loving and kind. But you know you'd be foolish to overlook God's other side. And I'm going to show you that in the scriptures today. The Bible says in Proverbs, he that's often reproved, reproved Repeatedly is the idea. Hardens his neck. We say he gets a stiff neck. And suddenly he's destroyed. The word destroyed there is the idea of being broken to pieces. And that's without remedy. Proverbs chapter 6 basically says, don't play games with God. Because God ain't going to play games with you. Now, in the scriptures, God does that with nations. Did God judge Israel? Yes or no? Were they carried off to captivity? Were the Assyrians, did the Assyrians come down and kill the ten nations in the north? Did the Babylonians come and take the two nations in the south? Yes. You don't play games with God. 
God sometimes does that with individuals. How about in the, how about in the uh, New Testament? Do you remember a guy named Herod the Great? Had a son named Herod Agrippa who one day was sitting on his throne and he had a, a sparkly looking outfit and the people said, it's a God, it's a God. And he said, boy, I like the sound of that. And the Bible said immediately there were worms that ate that dude. He was eaten by worms sitting there on his throne. Sometimes God doesn't play games with individuals either. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament took credit for giving a gift they didn't give. Carries out Ananias, carries out Sapphira. Remember the story? Now, today we're going to talk about Ahab and Jezebel. This is a couple that's a real stem winder in Elijah's life. And to, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about these folks because it seems from the passage we're reading, God's patience finally runs out. And I want to start by looking at a story that's told to us in chapter 21, 1 Kings 21. I'm going to preach this morning on this passage, and Ryan's going to talk tonight about Elijah being taken back to heaven in a fiery chariot or a whirlwind, Okay. So we're going to talk today about Ahab and Jezebel. Look at chapter 21. Now take your Bible and turn there. Will you do that? Now let me, let me uh, I'm going to read a while and I'm going to tell you the story a while. If I read the whole thing that I want to tell you this morning, we could be here a while. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to tell you this story and you get what I want you to get this morning. And when you look at this story, first of all, you're going to see a selfish desire. How many remember Ahab was married to this gal named Jezebel, who was a Zidonian woman? She was from uh, up in Lebanon on the coast there, and she brought with her Baal worshiping and brought her own prophets of Baal. Remember that? And she basically corrupted the whole countryside. Now, when you read the story, we're a couple of years removed from... Elijah up on Mount Carmel. You remember when Mount Elijah went up there and he prayed down fire from heaven and the fire came down? Remember the story? And he took a machete and he killed 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. 850 dudes lost their life that day. He took care of the cults in one day. Can you imagine that? Several years goes by. Elijah goes south. He goes down to Mount Horeb. There he hears that still small voice of God. He goes back up. He gets Elisha. Elisha becomes his new uh, disciple. He mentors him. But Elijah has been out of sight for a long time. Mount Carmel's five or six years in the past. Okay? Ahab... Now, stick with me. I only have time to read all this to you. Would you just make sure I'm telling you and catch this if you can, okay? Ahab's been living life and kind of just doing what he's doing. They've had a revival, so to speak, in Israel because God is God. Yahweh is God. And the fire came down from heaven. But, oh, Ahab, you know, he's not really been converted. He's not really been changed in his life. And when you read the stories... He has a guy named Ben-Hadad that comes down and he has a couple of, uh, he was a Syrian fellow, by the way. He has a couple of major battles and he fights and God fights on his team 
and it looks like he's doing fairly decent. I mean, he wins these major battles. The Syrians had a whole lot bigger force. They had iron chariots with Israel didn't have. And yet it, God brings a great victory and Ahab seems to be going good. Now, how many would think after two great victories after your, uh, with your enemies that maybe you could be content, you can come back home and just kind of live, live life, enjoy life. You wouldn't have to be coveting somebody's stuff. Would you agree with that? But that's not the way the story goes. Look, if you would, chapter 21. Let's just read a couple of verses. The Bible says in 21, verse 1, And it came to pass after these things, that was, these things are those battles I told you about. It says, Naboth, uh, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, and it was in Jezreel, but hard by the palace. In other words, it adjoined the palace wall of the king of Samaria. Ahab spake to Naboth, and he says, give me your vineyard. Now, that's a reasonable request. He doesn't say, I'm going to practice eminent domain. That's when the city seals your land and gives you very little for it, okay? He could have done that. He doesn't do that. He gives them a reasonable re a response. He says, hey, bottom line is, I'll give you another vineyard that's better, some other place. I'll pay you for it. I'll, I won't rip you off. But you know what? I'd like to have your property because it's right here next to the wall and I need a vegetable garden because during the summertime, it's great to go out there in the garden and get your vegetables and bring them in and eat them at the table. And so he says, man, I got to have it. Well, he was a man that lived by his passions. He's a very passionate man. He marries Jezebel. I mean, passion just soaks off of this guy. And, and let me be real honest with you. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about things, okay? But let me help you some. You get yourself in trouble when you live by your passions. Yes or no? This week in Nashville, we had a 17-year-old girl running from the police and crashed into Mr. Anderson's car and killed one of our police officers. By the way, do you ever stop and think, what in the Sam Hill are you doing at 2 o'clock in the morning driving your car in Nashville? Why are you running from the police? That's dumb in the extreme. What do you think's going to happen? No good. Nothing wrong with being passions. There's something wrong with living by your passions. Are you listening to me? Well, we got a second character in the story. His name is Naboth. He's living in Samaria. He's by Jezreel. Jezreel is a town and is right next to the wall of the palace of Ahab. And he has a little vineyard there that's been in the family for years and years and years and years. Now, Ahab makes him a reasonable offer. But the problem is Naboth is a man that lives by principle. Can I help you with something? Living by principle is far superior than living by passion. Yes or no? Principle says, no, it's not right. I can't do it. Principle says, hey, bottom line is my virginity is important to me. I'm going to keep it until I get married. No amens on that either, huh? <laughs> Tough crowd. You'd think in a Baptist church a preacher could say something like that and some poor soul would say yes. Come on, I'm going to wait till I get an amen. You ought to keep your virginity till you get married. Amen. There you go. We woke up and became Metro Baptist now. 
Live by principles, not by passion. Passion gets you in trouble. Principles does the right thing because it's the right thing. Now, let me just say a couple of things. I don't have time to turn, but I could take you back to the book of Exodus. I could take you to Joshua. These lands were given to the tribes. And those were to remain in their families as a part of their lineage until they died. In fact, in the Old Testament, they had a year of jubilee. If you were to lease your property, and you could lease it, but at the end of 50 years, it reverted back to the tribes. I don't have time. I could take you to Ezekiel chapter 46, and the Bible says the princes of Israel should not buy the inheritance of the people. It was against the Bible. It was against the word of God. For a prince to come and try to buy the land of Naboth. And Naboth says, hey, I live by principle. I live by what the Bible says. I live by obeying God's word. Wouldn't it be good if all Christians did? Amen. I'll say it one more time. That was weak. Wouldn't it be good if all Christians did? Amen. Yeah. Living by principle. Living by passion. Well, Naboth won't sell his vineyard. He believes the word of God. He takes God's word seriously and he says, no deal. I don't want it. I'm going to keep my vineyard because it's been in my family. It's part of our inheritance. And so Ahab goes home and being the manly man that he was, he goes to his bed, he lays down and he pouts like a little girl. He's in there pouting. He doesn't come out for supper. Jezebel goes in there and says, hey, big boy, what's the problem? Neighbor, we won't sell my vegetable. I want it for a vegetable garden. Weenie. <laughs> she says, well, you don't need to worry about that, big boy. I'll get it for you. So she sits down, she begins to write letters in the king's name, signing his name with her handwriting. She takes the royal seal and seals those documents. And basically, she sets up a plan where she gets some false witnesses. The Bible refers to them. Now, catch this as the sons of Belial, naughty people. Come on, stay with me now. I just showed you that in Proverbs. Right? Naughty people. And they come up with false witnesses with a, with a bribe judge. They, they talk with their fingers. They walk with their feet. They wink with their eyes. Come on, remember Proverbs? And they got it set up, man. Listen, you bring them to a feast. You put them in this feast. You put them in the place of honor. Then you bring in two false witnesses, two sons of Belial, and they make false accusations. Tell them that he blasphemed God and he blasphemed the king. Both were capital offenses. And they do. And these sons of Belial spin back the word if we took them outside the gates and we stoned them and he's dead. Jezebel walks into the palace that night. She throws down one of the copies of her letter and she says, I took care of it. The vineyard's there. Go take possession of your new vineyard. 
I took care of it. One man lived by his passion. One man lived by his principles. Jezebel lives by power. It's the way some people are today. By the way, let me remind you of something. One of the big ten, thou shalt not covet. Not even your neighbor's vineyard. Are you listening to me? Were they breaking the command of the word of God? Yes or no? Well, we haven't seen, oh, Elijah in a long time. Drop down, if you would, very a uh, little further in the passage there. Let's look and see what the Bible says. Drop down, if you would, if you will. Let's see here. Pick it up. Verse 17. You ready? Come on. How many got your Bible going? We're in 1 Kings 21, 17. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, saying... Hey, did you catch that? That's about the third or fourth time we've seen that exact same verse. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah saying, Arise, go to Cherith. Arise, go to Zarephath. Arise, go to Mount Carmel. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah in verse number 17. He says, Go. Verse 18, Go meet Ahab, the king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth. Isn't that amazing? The word of the Lord tells him exactly what Naboth did. That shouldn't surprise us. Amos 4, 7 says that God speaks to his prophets and tells him what he needs to know. Amos 4, 7. The Bible said, you should speak unto him, saying, thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and hast thou taken possession? Do you speak unto him, saying, thus saith the Lord, in this place? Now notice these predictions. He said, where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thee. When you stoned Naboth and left him out there to die, the dogs came and licked his blood. Well, let me tell you something, big boy. The same way that he went, the same thing's going to happen to you. The dogs are going to come, and they're going to lick your blood. But he doesn't just say his doom. Look at what else he says. He says, Ahab said, Elijah, hast thou found me, O my enemy? And by the way, the last time they talked, he called him the troubler of Israel. This time he calls him, O my enemy. It goes on and it says, and because thou hast sold thyself to do evil. Can you imagine that? Elijah says, you've sold yourself to the dark side. You've sold yourself to the devil. In the sight of the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon thee and take away thy prosperity. Prosperity. He's talking about he's going to have doom on his family. And then it says, Ahab, listen, uh, it's basically going to say, I'm not going to read that up there because my wife said don't read that. He's going to cut off from Ahab all the males. If you got the King James, it says something different. But it's the idea of all the males, aren't going to, they're going to die. Okay? Now, if it goes on, the Bible says, Jezreel, and Jezebel spake unto the Lord and said, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. So look up here, just for a second. Look up here. He says, all right, here's what my prediction is. God's going to get you. God's going to get your family. And God's going to get your wife. Can I help you? You're going to be broken without remedy. So he says. R.G. Lee preached a famous sermon on this. I heard him preach it six or eight times. It was called Payday Someday. 
payday someday. And Dr. Lee said, from this time forward, he said, the dogs are going to eat you. He said, every time Ahab heard a dog bark, he jumped. Stop and think about it. He jumped. Well, we see the selfish desire. We see the sinful deed. The Bible says it came to pass, verse 16, Ahab heard that Naboth was dead. He kills him. Now, alone calls Elijah, and Elijah basically says, all right, here's what the result of your sinful deed is going to be. God's going to kill you, your wife, and your family. Now, let's see if it happens, okay? Jump ahead to chapter 21. Look down, if you would, about verse, oh, let me see here. Look down to about verse number 27. Well, I got I to gotta show you one thing. I, I don't want to miss this. Have you, let me ask you a question. Look up here just for a second. Look up here just for a second. Because I, I want you to think. Have you ever seen somebody that got caught and they were remorseful for the fact they got caught? You ever seen somebody that didn't get caught and they were repentant? Is there a difference between being remorseful and being repentant, yes or no? Yes or no? Isn't that hard to figure out? You ever had one of your kids mess up and they come and say, oh, I'm sorry. Are you sorry you were caught or are you sorry that you did it? Well, when you read the story, immediately, when you look at verse 27, it came to pass when Ahab heard the words, he tore his clothes, he put sackcloth on his flesh, he fasted, he lay in sackcloth, and he went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, and he said, Seest thou Ahab humbles himself before me, because he humbleth himself before me. He said, I will not bring evil in his days, but in his son's days I will bring evil upon his house. Well, three years go by. Look at, 20, look at 23. Look at 23 verse, or 22. It says, he continued three years without war between Israel and Syria. And basically, let me look up here. I want to tell you the story. Let me tell you. I want to go in the scriptures. I want to show you, does these predictions come true or not? Elijah says the dogs are going to eat you. Well, let's see what happens. They're going to have a battle with the Syrians. Ahab goes down and joins forces with a guy named Jehoshaphat. Don't you like that name? Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat comes up from the south. You got two, guys, two tribes in the south, ten tribes in the north, and they're going to fight together. And what he basically does, he's fearful that he's going to be caught. He's fearful that he's going to die. So Ahab says, here, I'm going to take off my armor and I want you to wear my armor, and what I'll do, I'll look like a regular old soldier, so when I get in there, basically, they won't know it's me. He was afraid somebody would shoot him because he was dressed like a king. Well, Jehoshaphat goes riding off, and they start chasing him. They finally figure out that's not Ahab. They said, no, we need to get Ahab. Well, Ahab's riding off into the sunset, and the Bible says, drop down if you would, look at... Uh, Look at verse number 32. It came to pass that the captain of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat. They said, surely it is the king of Israel. And they returned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariot perceived that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. And a certain man drew a bow at venture. 
By the way, we'd say today, it was happenstance. It was a lucky shot. This guy takes his bow, puts it in his, takes his arrow, puts it in his bow, pulls it back, and he shoots it, and it hits Ahab in the crease of his armor. There was a spot there where there was a little open spot, and it hit him in the back. And he's wounded, mortally wounded. Look at what the Bible says. Oh, can you put your finger right here? Can I show you a verse? Come on, can I show you a verse? I appreciate you entering my sermon as well as you do. Look at Psalm 64. Can I show you a verse? Not on my watch. No way, baby. Look at Psalm 64. Look at Psalm 64. Look down to verse number 7. Now I want to show you a verse. I want you to keep this in mind. It says, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Psalm 64, verse 7. Suddenly shall they be wounded. You say, Pastor, do you think it was a lucky shot? Do you think it just happened that some guy with an arrow lets it go and it hits him right between the crease and his armor? You think it was just luck? You know, it's a scary thought, seriously. Sometimes I wonder if God's got an arrow that's got my name on it. By the way, if you have a brain in your head, that might go through your brain once in a while. Because every once in a while, if God wants you, he can get you. Now, without trying to get gross, he went through his back, through his stomach. He has a gut shot. He's bleeding to death. Horrible way to die. He's riding in the chariot. He makes his way back up to Samaria. And the Bible says when they get to Samaria, he dies. There's the king. And the Bible says they took him to the pool of Samaria and they began to wash out his blood. History says that's the pool where the prostitutes went to bathe because they weren't allowed in town. And they're washing out the king's blood with the prostitute water. And here comes the dogs. Just like Elijah said. You say, Pastor, that's, that's, just, that's just kind of a coincidence. No, 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 no. It happened exactly the way Elijah said it would happen. Amen. You ready to look at another spot real quick? I still got a few minutes. Don't get excited. <laughs> look over to 2 Kings. Look over to 2 Kings. Let's skip 25 years, 20, 25 years. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter number, oh, let's see, 2 Kings chapter number 29. Or ch chapter 9, I'm sorry. Chapter 9. Look down to about, oh, we'll look down to about verse, oh, let's see here, about eh, verse 30. The guy that the, guy that the story, story is about now is a guy named Jehu. I love Jehu. You know why I like it? Because they looked out and they saw this chariot driving fur furiously, and they said, look, it's Jehu. 
I'm a descendant of Jehu because my chariot, it gets driven furiously. Except for now we don't have a police force in my town anymore, so I can drive as fast as I like again. It's really good. Sorry. Look at verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, remember that's where this gal lives? The Bible says, Jezebel heard it. She painted her face. <laughs> can, can I help you with something? She's an old gal now. She's been around the block a couple of three times. So she's putting the war paint on. Now, I'm not writing the Bible. I'm just, if the Bible says she put the paint on, she's putting the paint on, all right? And the scripture says, she painted her face, she tied her head, she puts her hair back, she looks out the window. By the way, I'm sure she had fake eyelashes. <laughs> I can't prove that, but I'm thinking it was. Some of you don't have any humor in the Bible. I think the Bible's great. It goes on. Jehu enters at the gate and she says, had Zimri peace? Who slew his master? By the way, Jehu used to work for Zimri. Zimri died, and she's making a, a barb, a, a sarcastic jab at him. And the Bible says, he lifted up his face to the window and said, who's on the Lord's side? And you got a couple of eunuchs that are part of the harem. And he says, fellas, are you on the Lord's side? And the Bible says they looked out, two or three of them with the eunuchs, and he said, throw her down. And they pitched her out the window. By the way, Jehu's got a chariot. He drives furiously. He pulls back on the reins of those horses, and those horses come up with their hoofs, and they come back down on the body of this Jezebel, and she dies, and her guts are spilled all over the road. Oh, don't tell me you're too sensitive for that. If you got a TV, I know good and well you've seen guts spilled on a road. And as quick as a flash, <laughs> I like Jehu. He says, time to eat. <laughs> Read the story. And he goes down to the diner and he sits down and he's sitting there and he's eating and he says, I stink. She is a king's daughter. We ought to give her at least a decent barrel. And they go back and the wild dogs have come and they ate her. Except for a skull palms of her hands and her feet. Read the story. The wheels of God's justice grind exceedingly small, but they grind exceedingly sure. Elijah's been dead now. Elijah's been caught up to heaven. Elijah's been gone from this earth and the prophecy that he made, the prediction that he made was true. 1 Kings chapter 2, real quick. Look at 1 Kings, oh, let's look at chapter 1. Let me show you his family. He made a prediction about their family. The Bible says, verse number, chapter 1, verse 2, real quick, you ready? It says, Ahiza fell down through the lattice in the upper chamber when he was in Samaria and he was sick. You say, who's that? That's Jezebel's and Ahab's son. Remember that passage I wouldn't read that basically said all of his male prodigy were going to be wiped out? He falls through the lattice work 
And he basically says, man, he says, I got to find out whether or not I'm going to come off of this bed or not, whether I'm ever going to get well. And he sends somebody out to go check with the God of Ekron. Ekron was a Philistine God. And God says unto Elijah, Elisha, he says, he's going down to check that out with the dark side. He's going down to Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. You get into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12, they said that Jesus cast out demons by the power of the devil, the power of the dark side, the power of the Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. And basically, the man of God basically says, listen, you tell him that he's not coming off that bed, he's going to die. He comes back and reports it to the king, and the king said, what did he look like? He begins to describe him. He said, that's Elijah. You get up there and you tell him to come talk to me. And Elijah's sitting up on top of a hill. I don't know. Maybe he's up there eating bird seed, playing the drums. I don't know what he's doing. But he's up there sitting on top of this hill. And the Bible says these guys come up there, 50 of them. It says, hey, the king wants to talk to you. And he said, hey, I'm the, I'm the man of God that can pray down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel, and he said, if I'm the man of God, God let fire come down. And all 50 of them dudes were crispy critterized in a matter of seconds. He burned them. King sends out another group. The second one comes out there, and he said, hey, King wants to talk to you. And he said, hey, I'm a man of God that can pray down fire from heaven. And he said, if I am a man of God, may fire come right now. And the second 50 were burned up. The third 50, the guy comes out there, and he says, Dear sir, I know you're a man of God. And if my life be precious in your sight, if you choose to come down with me, I promise you I'll stop by Shoney's and I'll get you something good to eat on the way in. <laughs> now that part's not in there, but you understand what I'm saying. Elijah walks into the prophet. The prophet of God walks into the king's presence and he says, let me tell you something, bud. God says, you're going to die. He was dead. Predicted the, the doom of Ahab. Predicted Ahab's family would die. Predicted the doom of Jezebel. And it happened just the way he said. You say, Pastor, what are you saying to us this morning? When God says it's enough, it's enough. See, God could have an arrow with our name on it. If he wants to. Let me show you a psalm. I got to quit. Look over, and I got to quit. Really, I do. Look at Psalm chapter 73. Now, turn. I, some of you say, Pastor, all you're making, making us do is turn the whole time. I'm sick of going to church and having to learn the Bible. <laughs> Come on, smile at me. Psalm 73. By the way, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't get somebody? Oh, no, Pastor, I never think thoughts like that. I have. I got a prayer list that you don't want to ever get on. I do. When I get on that prayer list, I'm getting serious. I say, now, Lord, I can't take care of them, but you can. Psalm 73, David writes this. He says, verse 3, he says, or verse 2, but for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. 
I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever felt like that? He goes on. But there's no bands in their death. There's strength in, the, in them. And not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compassed them like a chain. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes stand out from the fatness and much more their heart could wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against all of heaven. Their tongues walk through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither. Waters of full cup are wrung out of them. And they say, how does God know? What's the knowledge of the Most High? Behold, they are ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. You ever wonder stuff like that? God, why did the, why did the people like El Chapo has billions and billions of dollars at the misery of people with drugs? How do you let that go by, God? When are they going to get it? Look down to verse 17. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Surely thou didst set them in the slippery place, and you castest them down into destruction. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying ultimately God writes the wrongs. Ultimately God takes control. Are you listening to me? Ultimately, God's will is done. And there comes a time, if not on this earth, listen to me, there will be those that will hear from God his own mouth. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And they'll be cast out into outer darkness. That's what the Bible says. If he doesn't get you now, he'll get you then. You say, Pastor, I don't like that sermon. Well, I wasn't real thrilled with it either. But I'll be real honest with you. It's a part of God we need to be understanding of. The other side of God. Had a unique experience not long ago. I was preaching at a particular place. And as I preached, by the way, I just tell you this because I'm letting you in on a trade secret. If a preacher's worth his salt, he watches the crowd. I can tell when you're with me and when you're not. I can tell when you enjoy it. I can tell when you're not. And I preached a sermon and i be honest with you, I told the truth. I laid it out there. I said, here's what the Bible says. And I could see a woman sitting there the whole time going. <laughs> kind of like that verse, he that hardeneth his neck. Come on. Now, I'm going to tell you how I operate, how I am. I don't care if you don't like it. <laughs> because the bottom line is there's only one person I got to please. And it, when he's pleased with it, it doesn't matter if anybody else is pleased with it. I want you to like it, but the bottom line is I'm really concerned about what he thinks. So after the service was over, I made a beeline right to her. I'm going to shake her hand. Be nice to her. I stuck my hand out and I said, 
It's nice having you here today. She said, I wouldn't shake your hand. I wouldn't shake your hand. I went home and cried. I pouted like Ahab. My wife came into the room. She said, is that any way for a preacher to act? Get off that bed, you sissy. Let me tell you something, folks. I know who's keeping the score. And ultimately, they'll be broken. And that without remedy. That's what the Bible says. Ahab was, Jezebel was, and his whole family was. Let's pray. Lord, bless us. Thank you for what we're learning. What a story.